From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President April Kapu, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. The rich history of the nurse practitioner paints a picture of the great successes that we have achieved and the invaluable contributions we've made to the health of our nation. From the role's inception in 1965 through the growth, expansion, and developments that have led to the 325,000 nurse practitioners practicing in the U.S. today, AANP is committed to the curation and preservation of our great history. With AANP funding two brand new grant opportunities for those interested in NP history, it's only fitting that our guests today are experts in the topic and bring a wealth of knowledge to today's conversation. Please welcome two members of the AANP History Committee, Kim Curry and Rick Ricciardi. <laughs> Welcome to MP Pulse, Dr. Ricciardi and Dr. Kim Curry. We're so excited to have you with us today. Thanks. Nice to be here. Great to be with you, April. It is. It's I, you, both of you. I have looked up to you for so many years, and really just feel like the the young one on the call today or on on, <laughs> on the webcast and ready to learn from both of you. You're just um, just have so many stories and just so much rich history with nurse practitioners that I didn't know about. So very excited to talk to you today and and certainly in honor of our history. So I'd like to first uh, for our audience, there are some people that may not know you and we'd like to make sure that everybody knows you a little bit better. So um, Rick, if you could tell us just a little bit about what you do um, now and um, just a little bit about your um, years of experience as a nurse practitioner. We'd love to know more. Well, thanks, April. Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Rick Ricciardi, and I'm a professor at George Washington University, where I mostly uh, work with students in the PhD program, but also the DNP program. Um, I have a clinical practice at Mercy Health Clinic, which only sees patients who are not insured. So it's, it's a community okay. clinic that is modeled um, after many community clinics that really are serving underserved populations. Okay. Um, and I've been an NP for almost 40 years. 40 years. Wow. Wow. So many wonderful stories. Kim, tell us a little bit about you. Well, I was a nurse for many years before I became a nurse practitioner. In fact, my nurse practitioner credential was actually the last one that I got. 
And uh, so I had a mm-hmm. long experience working in acute care nursing, but I kind of always wanted to get into primary care. And that's one of the main reasons I went back and became a nurse practitioner. So after I did that, my first job as a nurse practitioner was in the public health setting. And that's where I was exposed to some things that got me very interested in nursing and particularly advanced practice nursing history. Uh, and I've also been a faculty member at uh, the University of Tampa here in Florida and also at the University of Florida, okay. where I still have a courtesy appointment. I have a clinical practice at the Judeo-Christian Clinic here in Tampa, and I have for many years. But my main job now is the editor of the Journal of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. Love that. Yes, I love the journal. It's um, I read it every day. I have it right at my fingertips on my AANP app. And I think that that's really neat how you've made it so accessible for all of Thank our you. members. So tell us, the other day I was in Austin and I was, um, for everybody that's listening, we have a headquarters in Austin. Our AANP headquarters are there. So I was there uh, speaking with some people and I was walking down the hall and I noticed the history wall. And for those who haven't been to the headquarters, if you could just imagine the history and the evolution of NP practice through the years. And and it's by decades. And and so you see what was happening early on and how we got to where we are today. It's just a fantastic uh, work. And I know that both of you were very involved in the development of the history wall. And both of you are on our AANP history committee, not to mention you teach about history all the time when you're with students and when you're presenting and certainly in much of your writings. So I want to jump right in and, and find out a little bit more. Can you tell us just a little bit more about the evolution of the NP role? Kim, you want well, to start? Uh, that's, that's a great uh, way to start because I dug into this a little bit more recently. I, I guess I was tangentially related uh, in, in some way to the development of the wall at headquarters. And I love reading that wall. And every time I look at it, I, I think of some other things that have happened to us through history. But to me, a lot of our history as providers is kind of political and legislative history, right? Because it has to do with our ability to expand our role mm-hmm. and our scope and One of the things uh, that I was involved in recently, you mentioned the AANP History Committee, and we support each other. And uh, a couple of us, uh, Carolyn Torre and I had gotten some grants. And now there are other people applying for these grants, external funding, uh, not through AANP, but uh, there are national grants and scholarships available for people who are studying history. And so um, I was able to get involved in looking at the Florida state history as, as just one state. Every state has its own story to tell, right? And we really want to encourage nurse practitioners across the nation to look into their history and look at the individual barriers that people face. This is a really key thing now, April, because the AAC and essentials that were revised in 2021, both at the undergraduate and the graduate level, they call for people to have some understanding right. of their the history of their profession and their role, nurse mm-hmm. practitioner being a role within the nursing profession. Mm-hmm. And so these are really key things to uh, to document for all of us. And we want to remember the people that have contributed before us and have led to us being able to do the things that we're able to do now. And so um, that's that's what I think of when I think of that wall was all the things that those people went through through the decades to get us to where we are now. Let's talk about one of those people. So Dr. Loretta Ford, Kim, 
The other day, you and I were speaking a little bit more about her and all that she's done. Just an, an amazing, amazing person and has just really, um, really got us started as a profession in many ways. Well, you know, I'm so fortunate that uh, she chose to retire here in Florida. And so I have gotten to see her several times over the, the past few mm -hmm. years. And a, a group of us will go up and visit her or a couple of us, you know, at different times. And she was just such a, a groundbreaking person. And she and Henry Silver, I think Rick's going to speak to Dr. Silver a little bit, co-founded the first nurse practitioner program uh, in, in Colorado. And she wasn't uh, necessarily well-received out there. This is another case of, you know, uh, kind of well-behaved women seldom make history or whatever. She, she wasn't loved by everyone and, in fact, ended up leaving that university mm -hmm. uh, because of how people were perceiving the early nurse practitioners, right? But one of the interesting, interesting things to me about that period in time was that her concept was that these people that she would prepare to be pediatric primary care providers would have to have a master's degree in public health before they came in to this advanced practice program. So she really saw this as a public health role. And I, I find okay. that very interesting. Another thing that I really recommend that everyone right. uh, do is read that 1967 article in Pediatrics that was co-authored by herself, uh, Dr. Silver, and one of the first graduates of the program. Uh, and it's about what the conception of the role was, right? And so the role was never conceived to be, well, we don't have a lot of doctors, so let's use nurse practitioners, right? It wasn't intended to be a solution to a physician shortage. It was intended to meet right. the needs for healthcare. And everybody got at that time that there's a variety of people who can right. meet those needs. And sometimes people need a nutritionist. Sometimes they need a dentist. A lot of times they need a nurse. A lot of times they might need a physician, depending on what's wrong with them. And it needs to be a team effort. And when I reflect on that and how long ago these people understood that concept, I start thinking to myself, okay, how can we just keep everybody on that same page again? Because that's where we need to be. Right, right. Really intended to meet uh, public health and public health crisis to some degree, much like what we're experiencing today in, in many ways. And, and nurses, as we always do, we step up, we meet those needs and and a tremendous uh, effort on behalf of Dr. Loretta Ford. Now, you mentioned Henry Silva. So, Rick, I know you have a lot of information. Could you share a little bit more about why he was so instrumental in our history? Well, thanks, April, and thanks, Kim, for that lovely uh, discussion on Lee. I, I, too, have known Lee, but I think my entire professional life, and she's an incredible person, as you mentioned, and, and loved by all. Um, so Henry was uh, a, a very, very strong advocate for public health and access to care. He, Henry, I got to meet Henry in 1983. Uh, Dr. Silver was on faculty uh, at University of Colorado. Uh, where he started out as a pediatrician and being an attending pediatrician, and then he became the associate dean uh, there. And he was very, very much interested in wellness and, uh, and wellness of communities. And uh, being a pediatrician, obviously, he understood prevention. So Henry was very concerned, along with Dr. Ford, about access. Mm -hmm. 
particularly uh, about access in rural aspects of Colorado, but his work extended far beyond Colorado. So he really was, uh, you know, he was angry. He was disappointed. And he was angry with his own professions and, you know, profession, uh, the physician community, because they weren't stepping up. And he decided to really try to take uh, an initiative on his own and reaching out with Dr. Ford. Together, they made and created a great partnership. I spent many hours talking to Henry about the beginnings of the nurse practitioner. But ultimately, it was about improving access to populations, particularly in rural areas, but not necessarily rural areas. Because Henry understood, even in urban areas, that there were there were populations that were underserved and, and didn't give access. With the focus, we you know, we talk about holistic and patient-centered care now. You know, back in the 60s, those weren't buzzwords. But the intent of Henry and Dr. Ford was to carry out many of the concepts that we talk about now around 360 whole person care, patient-centered care, mm -hmm. looking at what the values of patients and incorporating patient values and preferences into care. This is not new. I mean, Henry and Dr. Ford uh, were all, all about that and looking at it from the public health lens. So Henry was a great partner. Many people don't really know that the School of Medicine provided the first $6,000 to the School of Nursing to, to build the curriculum and to develop the NP. You know, we weren't called NPs back then. There was lots of names that were the preamble to the nurse practitioner, which is the archetype name now or the branded name now. But we were called lots of things. And, and you know, so there's lots of rich history. And for those of you uh, who have the opportunity to come to headquarters in Austin, spend some time on that wall. I mean, I spend a lot of time and I know a lot of the people on that wall, so it brings back a lot of warm memories, but we really are built on the shoulders of giants who came before us. Completely agree. So what were some of those early names? Uh, you said that it wasn't nurse practitioners straight out of the gate, um, as uh, Dr. Silva and Dr. Ford were getting everything going and, and really trying to uh, prepare uh, nurses uh, with advanced education and training so that they could meet these needs. And I might mention um, today, um, well over 325,000 NPs across the U U.S., uh, but still need more. Um, we have over 80 million Americans that lack access to primary care, so still a great need. And so we continue to educate and train and, and, and certify uh, nurse practitioners to meet this need. But were we all uh, always called nurse practitioners? Is that the name they said straight from the beginning? Well, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, one of the things I learned through studying the early part of the nurse practitioner movement was there there were a variety of names. I, I, I agree with Rick completely. Uh, one of the terms that we had in this part of the country was nurse specialists. And so nurse okay. specialists would be nurses who were very experienced nurses who were selected, often from the public health setting, to attend a certificate type of program for advanced training in a specialty area. For example, one of my friends was one of the early family, um, family practice uh, nurse specialists. And so she helped 
women who wanted to prevent pregnancy and work in a family planning. She worked in a family planning clinic and and that type of thing. And there was a, a huge need for things like that. But also following up on what Rick said, sometimes they were just called nurses because one of the things we forget is that in times past, decades ago, nurses were much more independent than they became. Mm -hmm. Nursing as a role, uh, as a profession, was kind of institutionalized and subordinated in a lot of ways after World War II. And that has to do with a lot of history and the development of medical science and stuff like that. So, um, what we don't see a lot of the times is that there were many nurses who were out managing the health of whole populations and setting up practices and stuff like that mm -hmm. in times past. And then we had to kind of start getting back to that. And, and I think to me, we're still kind of on that trajectory of getting back to, you know, let's have a level of independence that reflects our actual education skills. Right, right. I think that's very interesting how um, we have kind of gone in a circle with all of that. And, and today we are really looking to, for all nurses to practice to the full extent of their education Absolutely. and training. And, and, and that's very strongly worded and, and rightly so in the future of nursing report that just came yes. out. Now, Rick, you have uh, quite an extensive background in the military and I think, you know, you mentioned when we were speaking the other day that there's some influence there on the nurse practitioner um, profession, how nurse practitioners really evolved within the military and the federal sector and how that has impacted what we're doing in the private sector. Can you share a little bit more? Sure. I'm happy to, April. And um I've had the fortunate opportunity of serving our great nation uh, for almost 40 years in, uh, in, the, in the government sector, 31 years as active duty, and then uh, eight years as the chief nursing officer and director of, of the uh, Pro Practice Improvement Division at the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. So in the early days, which I'm part of, when the uh, uh, Department of Defense, it was Navy, Navy, Army, and Air Force, all three services, mm -hmm. started to really gather around this idea of the nurse practitioner. Um, and one of the reasons for that in the federal sector is that it's always been a capitated healthcare system. So mm -hmm. there's really no fee for service in terms of competition for dollars. So the overarching goal of care delivery in the Department of Defense is team-based care. And who is the best provider that's you know, trained and suited to take care for the population that is needed? It's really very ideological. It's very, you know, it's really a good system from that perspective. That being the case, that allowed for the, for the uh, federal sector, particularly the DOD and the VA was a little bit behind, but came shortly after to really no, just go right into it and allow us as a, uh, you know, back then we were called nurse clinicians mm -hmm. for uh, nurse clinicians to really uh, practice to the full extent. So each commander within the Department of Defense healthcare facility would sign off on all the providers and in your provider uh, credentialing, it would allow for you to do what you were trained to do. So right, right at day one, 
When I graduated from my NP program, I had full practice authority when I started practicing in the DOD. Now, that was, I think, provided some of the strong, really early evidence to the private sector on the value of the nurse practitioner or the nurse clinician or the practical nurse or the practicing nurse, what we would call back then, and really orchestrated uh, uh, the private sector health systems to open their eyes to this because they realized the potential. So I, to your point, April, I believe that the DOD was instrumental in the early phases of the NP development. However, I believe now that in many cases, the private sector, large health systems like you're at at, at Vanderbilt, like your system, April, that you're at, supersedes in terms of using the talent pool of nurse practitioners in the acute and primary care settings than we do that, than, that what is done in the DOD. So it is circular, like you said, April. It is. It, it starts is. off and an idea is formed, it, 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 you know, implemented, and then the, the systems or the market start to take over. And, you know, where we are now, we're in very much a market-driven healthcare. We are, and, and we're seeing uh, in many states, I think it's 24 states in D.C., as of today, where nurse practitioners are able to practice to the full extent of their education, their training, and their board certification. And so they have that licensure authority to practice uh, to the full extent. And, and my hope is other states modernize and update their laws that we'll be able to do that across all states and be able to really increase access to care and, and certainly NP care. But Kim, earlier you mentioned the AACN um, standards and the elements of education and that history is a very important piece of that. And I often, I often am able to go and speak with different groups of students. And when we start to talk about history, not a lot of students know the history. And even, and I don't know a lot of the history that you and Rick um, know so well. So can you share a little bit more why uh, that element was added as a standard? And why is it so important for us to understand where we've been in order to know where we're going? Right, sure, April. Well, I don't have all the details on exactly why that was added, but I, I honestly think it's kind of long overdue because that should be the case in every area of study, every field of study, mm -hmm. that people have some concept of how that field of study was developed and, and the history of it. And in nursing, uh, you know, we're in this wonderful profession where we have a, an incredibly rich history that is full of groundbreaking people but yet we struggle with things in our history. You know, it's a little bit complicated. It's related to a lot of things like roles, gender roles, and, and, and a lot of other things. It's tied into so many other things. And people need to have an understanding of that so that they can see where to go from where we are right now. And how did we get here, right? So there's a popular saying in history that if you don't understand the history of your people and culture, then you're like a tree with no roots. And so we have to mm -hmm. remember our roots so that we can build on those roots. So uh, it's it's really going to be important. And I think one of the things our committee is going to try to help work on, and I hope there are a lot of other history committees out there that are working on this, is how do we uh, deliver that information to students? Because I think one of the things we, we tend to not quite get right in some of our um, 
colleges is that uh, everybody tends to reinvent the wheel a little bit. And there's some really classic information that I hope we'll be able to agree on to provide to students in their curricula, be it undergraduate or graduate, so that they have an appreciation for some of the many, many things that nurses have done and that they feel excited about that and they want to learn more about it. You mentioned the history committee. I think it's fantastic that AANP has a history committee and, and, and is so committed to keeping history alive because I totally agree. If we don't know where we're going, we don't understand where we are today and where we're going in the future. Um, we really have to understand where we've been and the evolution to get to where we are. So you're both on the history committee. Tell us a little bit more about what the history committee is doing. Well, the history committee, first of all, <laughs> is fully loaded with excited, talented individuals who uh, are really working towards uh, getting the information out to the next generation of NPs so that the richness of our generation of NPs doesn't get lost for the reasons that you, you were mentioning before. So there's a lot of energy on that committee to the extent that new programs are coming up, which uh, listeners will hear about, that will allow for grants. We will be having an opportunity for a large grant and for some smaller grants at the state level and perhaps the national, national perspectives on who were some of the key players at, since the beginning of the NP and what were some of their actions and how did those actions influence clinical practice, research, policy, and the evolution of the role so that people can understand that when they graduate from their NP program, they're given a very special gift. They're giving a gift from those who came before them that worked tirelessly and selflessly to carve out from a political perspective, from both state and federal level, hard, hard, tireless work so that they're able to, in, in states that have full practice authority, get right into it and be entrepreneurs, you know, and to really move the, the science and the practice forward at a much higher level that wouldn't be there unless these giants before us. So that's, I think, the gist from my perspective, and I know Kim will have another perspective on this, uh, why it's so important for the History Committee to be part of AANP and, and part of who we are. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think the History Committee is going to be a really good facilitator for people to kind of get a, a fire lit under them about history and as, as a real foundational element for all of us, uh, because to march forward, we have to understand and we have to know a little bit more about the specifics, not just one or two facts about our history, but about the role uh, in general. So the committee has been very active. We meet regularly and talk about how we're going to support people going forward, doing some historical research, as Rick mentioned, at the state and the national level. Uh, and we uh, plan to hopefully offer them some uh, some amount of funding to be able to do that. Uh, I would encourage anyone who's interested in studying this a little bit further to to look into the committee and 
see how they can get involved in doing some of these things within their own state. Because as I as I mentioned earlier, there are a few states underway in terms of looking at their history and really documenting the history of the advanced practice nurses within their state. But there are so many states that uh, have not had the opportunity to do that yet or have not identified that one person that would really be be intensely interested in it enough that they really want to undertake that effort. And it's actually a lot of fun to do these things. We've made a couple of videos that uh, have been very well received, and we're hoping for some more of those from some other states. It's truly a labor of love. And I so enjoy um, being able to join the history committee from time to time. As I look around the screen on the Zoom call, I'm just in awe of the individuals that are on that yeah, there's committee. some history I on mean, the history truly, committee yeah. <laughs> truly giants absolutely truly giants now this past year you all have developed a web page and i uh, i think the address is aanp.org forward slash history really simple uh, web address where anyone can go there and you have built so many uh different interesting stories um, to be able to quickly look through and 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 see what all is amounts to our history, um, I did want to just comment. You know, as I think about our history as a profession, I always think back to Dr. Ford and Henry Silva, and and certainly uh, Dr. Jan Towers and that story of the apple tree. Um, and I think more on the 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 national level, but the states each. Individual state has a rich story of their own history within the state. So the work that you all are doing is monumental, um, but it is so important that we each have, each state has their own identity as well. And I love the fact that you are offering grants and you are looking for people to help us locate that history and that there's an easy form on that webpage where people can go in and say, hey, I've got a piece of uh, interesting history to share, or I'd like to share some stories about how we developed uh, our NP practice here in our state. And it's easy to find that form on that webpage. So I think that was a huge step forward um, this past year as well. Yeah, that's a good point, April. Thank you. And the, the two videos that we do have so far of the different states are on there and more to come. So I would encourage people to not only fill out the form, but just to look on there for information. There's some information on Dr. Ford that students could read. It, I think it could be a lot of help to, to many people, including faculty, students, and practicing clinicians. I totally agree. So um, we, we're wrapping up. I wish we could talk all day because your story, the stories that you have to share really helps um, to fill uh, inclusive with the larger body of nurse practitioners. You feel suddenly I'm a part of something really big, really amazing, and it's helped so many people and a true, a very, very valuable contributor to the healthcare team and certainly to patient care and access to care. So to share with our audience, our listeners, we have students, we have practicing NPs, we've got retirees, we've got educators, faculty, lots of different listeners out there. What would you like to share in terms of history? I am compelled. I have a lot of history in my head, but I'm compelled to always come back in these types of form to talk a little about, about Dr. Henry Silver, just because... I believe I'm one of the few NPs and perhaps nurses other than Dr. Ford that really had a solid relationship and friendship with him. 
until he died in 1991. And I, I really would like for our listeners and, you know, all nurses to really understand the approach that Dr. Uh, Silver took to working with nurses was truly collaborative. And back in the early days of the NP role, all of my faculty were physicians. There really, there were not a sufficient quantity of nurses who could teach the content. So for having Dr. Silver there to be supportive and to be one of my preceptors to share his perspectives on care delivery. And, you know, a couple of things about Dr. Silver, and I'll keep it short. One, he was the constant steward for vulnerable people. For example, he was one of the first to write with C. Henry Kemp on the battered child syndrome. He was, uh, he was the first faculty to talk about the malalignment of policy and the abuse of medical students while they were in training. This is long before today where they have, you know, restrictive hours. If you look back and you can see he was amongst the originals, the original paper that described how medical students were, were being abused while they went through their rotations. So he was very concerned about vulnerable populations. And he, you know, he put himself out there for mm -hmm. us as nurses and also for physician colleagues. And he took a lot of heat for it. And, you know, and as Kim said, you know, Dr. Ford took a lot of heat in the early days from the nursing community. He took a lot of heat from the physician community to support nursing. And I think we need to honor him for that. And the last thing I'll tell you is his clinical acumen and the way that he taught medical students, residents, uh, fellows was remarkable because he really believed that the history was the key ingredient to diagnostic, you know, approaches. And he was really, he really pushed the envelope on you really becoming an expert in developing, you know, a good report with your patient, but having a solid history. And I'll leave you with but I like, to, you know, we in the, in the world of, of, of Dr. Henry Silver, we had these things, the residents, the attendings, everybody had these things we called silver pearls. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Silver would have these little things that he would share over the course of the year. And one day I was uh, in the clinic and Dr. Silver was my preceptor. And it was in January and I'll be brief here. It was flu season and the, the, the waiting room was packed. And back in those days, there was no electronic health record. You would put your charts in the box, back of the door in a, in a little slot. And mm -hmm. the door that I had was filled with six or seven charts for me to see these patients, like I said. And Dr. Silver saw, he knew I was an NP student, and he said, look, Rick, he brought me over and he said, Rick, you're going to have a lot of days in, in, in delivering healthcare where the resources are not going to be supportive enough to, you know, to, to meet the demand. I'm, I'm paraphrasing that a little mm -hmm, bit. Mm -hmm. And he said, Here, here's the approach that I would suggest you would take. Before you knock on that door to enter the, uh, the room where the patient and their family is, I want you to think about how your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your aunt, your uncle, your child would want to be treated 
if they if that was them in that room and some provider came in to take care of that. And I can tell you that I've every day to this day before I knock on the door and go in an exam room, that goes through my head. Regardless of how tiring my day is, how exhausted I am, COVID, PPE, you know, all the issues around the complex delivery of healthcare. It gets down to the human touch and the human understanding of the, you know of the of the meeting of the science and humanity, and you have to do both. If one is missing, healthcare is lacking, and it, it was just a re, he's just a remarkable clinician, a remarkable administrative person, and a, and a kind, gentle person. So I'll end it with that, April, and thank you for that opportunity. And thank you. Well, I'd just like to say, uh, following up on Rick, that uh, here we have two people, Loretta Ford and Henry Silver, who were products of their time, as we all are. But what did they see? They saw that things could be different, right? And I think it's important for all of us to remember every day mm -hmm. that we're making history every day. We are all products of our time, but can you be that next person who can look around and see how you can move things forward and make a difference for your patient, for our role for the profession. And I, I think that that's something that uh, is key for nurse practitioners to be the people that can continue to move things forward. Completely agree. Well, thank you. Thank you both. Thank you for all you have done for the profession, all that you've done for patients throughout the years and so many roles, all that you're doing today with your students, um, with all of the readers of the journal and all that you're doing for AANP, especially with the work of the history committee. I just want to thank you and everyone on that committee and everyone that's contributing so much um, to the history and making sure that everybody is aware of our history because you cannot value the future or even the present if you do not have an appreciation of the past. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be well, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, Kim and Rick. At the beginning of the episode, I mentioned that AANP is funding brand new grant opportunities for those interested in NP history. These are the two opportunities. The National NP History Grant Award is a funding opportunity for a research or scholarly project focused on the historical foundations of the NP movement at a national or international level. The state NP history grant is a funding opportunity for individuals or groups within a state to compile historical information that focuses on a comprehensive history of the NP. I encourage you to follow the link in this episode's description to learn more and apply for one of these fantastic grant opportunities. Help AANP gather and preserve more history of our great profession. Please subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm.